I got an email this week into um, my email box, and I'm just going to read it to you, see what you think of this. It says, my honey, our love has been assaulted many times, and I'm convinced that it is true love, because the longer I am away from you, the greater my yearning is to be with you again. I am waiting for your answer as well. My email is, and then this long email. We just have the PowerPoints up. Not the reading there. PowerPoint. It's almost Christmas, isn't it? We've been talking about Advent. And we get a lot of Christmas adverts coming on at this time of year. And we're told by the advertisers that we need certain things if you're going to have a good Christmas. You have to buy your food in a certain place if you want to be sophisticated. You have to smell right if you want to be sophisticated. You know, you have to buy your Armani or whatever it is. And then if you've had your right food and you're there smelling absolutely delicious, you have to finish it off with a cup of George Clooney endorsed coffee. No matter how much espresso I drink, I'm never going to look like George Clooney. <laughs> if you've got kids, you're told that actually you need to buy them the right things if you want them to be happy this Christmas. Those are some of the top 20 toys for this year. And then it goes on, doesn't it? Boxing Day, if you put the TV on, if you can forward wind about a month or so, and it's Boxing Day, what comes next? Summer 2018. If you're going to have a holiday, you need to book it now, and it needs to be one of these exotic locations. You see, because Southport no longer cuts it. You have to go to somewhere really exotic. Those two things, that email and those adverts, are actually deception. You may have spotted the first one. In fact, it was double deception, that email, because it came to Claire, not me. <laughs> and I've got no idea who it was from, and I hope it is anonymous. I hope it is a spam email. She assures me it is. But deception is based on believing something that actually isn't true, isn't it? When we're deceived into something, we take something that may have some truth in it or a limited bit of truth in it, and we believe it and we get sucked in by it. But the problem with deception is it can be tough to recognise. Citizens Advice Bureau reckon that in the last year, 4 million people in the UK have fallen for a scam. That's 4 million people. That's 1 in 15 so if you look around the room today, 10 of us in this room will probably have fallen for a scam at some point this year. That's how bad deception is in our lives. Joshua chapter 9, we're, we're in our last of our mini-series on Joshua this morning. And it is about deception. It's perhaps not the most advent of themes. Um, we will get onto advent next week in a little more detail. And it's about deception. Last week Jonathan was here and he was talking about secret sin. And this is in some ways sort of follows on from that. If you get time to read chapter 8 by yourself, it's about I being destroyed, and then we get to chapter 9. So you might want to turn to this in your Bible. If you've got a church Bible, it's on page 213. I'm going to read the whole chapter. I'll read it fairly quickly, um, because it's quite long. So try and stick with me. Now when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, those in the hill country and the western foothills and along the entire coast of the Mediterranean Sea, as far as Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they retorted to a ruse. 
They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes, and all the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We have come from a distant country, make a treaty with us. The Israelites said to the Hivites, But perhaps you live near us, so how can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, Who are you, and where do you come from? They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan, and who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, Take provisions for your journey, go and meet them, and say to them, We are your servants, make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you, but now see how dry and mouldy it is. And these wineskins that were filled were new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace to them and let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard them. They heard that they were neighbors living near them, so the Israelites set out, and on the third day they came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephirah, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jeram. You just pronounce those confidently and no one knows whether you're right or wrong. But the Israelites did not attack them, did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, We have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live, so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for the entire community. So the leader's promise to them was kept. Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, Why did you deceive us by saying, We live a long way from you? Well, actually, you live near to us. You are now under a curse. You will never cease to serve as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. The answer, Joshua, Your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants before you. So we feared for our lives because of you, and this is why we did this. We are now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems right and good to you. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites, and they did not kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the community for the altar of the Lord at the place the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. Let's just make this story a little bit simpler because it's quite complicated, isn't it? If we just go back to the, the PowerPoint, brilliant. I'll just fast forward through all those nice pictures and we'll get on to the Gibeonite deception. You see, Israel's fame was spreading. The people round about had heard what was going on and heard that the people of Israel were taking land off the surrounding nations. And we've not got time this morning to go back over all the issues of violence and how do we reconcile the violence that we find in Joshua with, the, with our call to be peace-loving in following Jesus Christ. If you want to go back to that, go online um, and go to the first of the Joshua series where we unpack that in more detail. But we get to um, this place and we get to Gibeon and we find that this is the area that we're in. If you're into maps and distances, see Jerusalem to Jericho, that distance is about 16 miles. 
So Gibeon is very near to where the Israelite people are. So what happens is that they come up with an elaborate plan to save their own skin. They want to live, and so they come up with this plan. And we see through it as we read the passage. We think, oh, this looks like a typical con. It's not very difficult to see. But if you were Joshua in Joshua's shoes, we could have fallen for this easily as well because it's quite subtle and it's quite normal the way that they behave. Because what the Gibeonites are doing, they're coming and doing all the things of standard Middle Eastern ancient diplomacy. They come and they say warm words. They come and they offer food. You know, they are like David Davis of the whatever millennia BC, or perhaps not, depending on your point of view. And so they come with their warm words, their food, their food, their words of submission. Verse 8, it says, we are your servants. If you wanted to agree anything at this time, like a treaty, you brought food. Yeah, food is always good, isn't it? It's always good to chat over food. And this is what a delegation would do. They would come with warm words, use your diplomatic language, and come and say, we've come from a long way. We want to be protected by you. We want to not fight you. And we want to get along with you. And in the ancient world, you made an oath. And you did it in front of the name of your God. So you see what Joshua has done here. He takes an oath in front of the name of the Lord to not attack these people, to actually befriend these people and make a treaty with them. By verse 16, we get a bit of a change of a direction in the story. The Israelites have found out that it's a con, and so they go on the attack, and they go to try and remove these people from the land. But then they find out they can't, because an oath has been made to the Lord. And so if they attack these people, the wrath of God will fall upon them. And so we find that actually Joshua has got them in a right mess. These people who were not meant to be there because they were pagan, they were doing all kinds of detestable practices, they were sacrificing children on altars and all kinds of things, they were now going to be living in the land that God had promised to the people. And by the end of the story, we have this situation where the Gibeonites are in the land where they shouldn't have been. And so it's all about deception. And this morning, I want to look at three things about this deception. Now, unusually for me, I'm feeling very alliterate this morning. Not illiterate, but alliterate. They all begin with the letter C. And the first thing is that this deception came about through failure. Came about through failure. The second one be is it caused an immediate problem, and then it compromised a promise. Anyone tell me what this is? Cuckoo's eggs. Anyone good at telling me what a, a cuckoo does? That's exactly right, yeah. What a cuckoo does, a cuckoo is crafty and a deceptive bird. And what it will do is it will lay its eggs sometimes in the nest of another bird. And what it then lets the other bird do is bring up its offspring for it. And so these cuckoo eggs that start off looking very like the other bird's eggs, they grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And then the cuckoo chicks um, are hatched and they're bigger than the other bird's chicks. And sometimes the other bird's chicks will die. But this, um, this bird has to keep feeding this cuckoo over and over again. Deception in our own lives, I think, can be a bit like a cuckoo egg. That sometimes things can get into our lives that actually God doesn't want to be there, that have somehow landed themselves in our mind. If you imagine our mind is a nest for the moment, just bear with me for a second. And something comes in and lays a cuckoo egg inside our nest. We don't notice it's there. We're deceived. And then over time, it grows into a thing. And it becomes a problem for us. And it causes all kinds of situations. Deception only gets momentum with the people of Israel 
because of one essential thing. What was it that the Israelites, that Joshua didn't do? He didn't inquire of the Lord. He trusted that what he thought was best was best. And the minute he didn't inquire of the Lord, a cookie egg is, don't know, dropped, birthed into the nest of what is going on, if you like. Now, everything externally to Joshua looks pretty plausible. The delegation, the diplomacy is all pretty standard stuff. But what he does is he trusts his own instincts instead of going to the Lord and saying, God, what do you think about this? Are these people honest? Are these people being trustworthy? Or is this a deception? You know, it's easy in our, in our world, isn't it, to just treat everything at face value and not to question and not to think about the kind of culture that we live in and not to think that actually our culture that we live in wants to pull us away from God and away from the things and the freedom that we have in Christ. We need to be wise. We need to be wise to deception because the cuckoo egg can suddenly appear and it can grow without us noticing. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 and 9, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. See, the Bible is very clear time and time again that as Christians, if we're on a journey of discipleship with Jesus, if we're following Jesus, we face a real enemy. Time and time again, the Bible will call that enemy the devil or the Satan. It talks about powers and principalities that are not of this world. And there are powers that are out to devour and to deceive and to get our lives off track from what it should be with God. But also, we can deceive ourselves. I don't know if you've ever deceived yourself into believing something was okay when it wasn't. And actually, you found a bit later on down the line, you've got yourself in a bit of a mess because you've done it. I've told my hand up, I've done that before. You know, self-deception, I don't need anyone else to help me with that. I can do that quite well on my own. And then there may be human deceptions. You know, we looked at those adverts at the beginning. Now, there are far more serious types of things than adverts. You know, we talked about, you know, sort of email cons and all kinds of things that come in, where other human beings are deliberately trying to deceive us into all kinds of things. So let's look specifically at some of these types of deceptions. And I'm just going to give you three what are sadly true stories about different types of deception that I've come across over the years. First one is a spiritual one. There was a church years ago that I knew a little bit about. didn't know it well, so it's not something I know a great deal about. But this church was really seeking the Lord together. They were praying together. They were reading a Bible together. There was good teaching. It was, it was all going well. And this church um, used to spend time asking God to speak directly into the life of the church. All good stuff. You know, all biblical, and you know, people were bringing words to the church, and they were being weighed and tested against the scripture. But as time went on, there was one particular lady in this church who started to like to get her voice a little bit more heard than other people. And over the years, the church started to listen to this voice more than it did to the words of the Bible, and more than it did to what God had said in his revealed word. And as the years went on, <clears throat> this church, you can tell this is a while ago, because they used to record on a tape what this lady was saying. And rather than have Bible study notes, they would send out what this lady was saying as like some direct revelation from God, and people would go and study it and say, what do you think God's saying to us now? Then the things that the lady was saying started to get a bit more obscure, a bit more divisive, a bit more dangerous, until they were going against actually what was in the Bible. Do you know what happened to that church? It imploded and then closed. And a few years later, the building it met in was flattened and houses were built on it. There was no trace of this church now. They'd been spiritually deceived. 
Something had got in looking good, but had never really been tested along the way. Self-deception. There was a couple of people that I knew a number of years ago. One of this couple of people was was, uh, married. The other one was single. And the married one was really struggling in their marriage at that time. They're just going through a really hard time. This is a, um, so there's a marriage, and then there was a man who the woman from the marriage went to pray with. Now, to me, at that point, alarm bells should be ringing. You know, prayer triplets, great. Prayer groups, great. But man and a woman, when one of them is married and one of them isn't, you're asking for trouble. What happened? This couple who met to pray for the woman's marriage ended up having an affair. They deceived themselves into believing that that was okay, when actually it wasn't, and it went against actually God's best for them. Another one, deceived by the culture around us. This is about a family who had everything really, materially. They had good jobs, they had a great house, they had all the cars that you know you would need, and good holidays. But this family was incredibly generous, really loving, wonderful family who would do anything for anybody, who would give generously from what they had and what they believed God had blessed them with. But over the years, this kind of lifestyle that they set up for themselves got more and more expensive, and it came about, really, that they stopped being able to give to other people. They stopped being able to give generously time or money to other kinds of things. And slowly but surely, they pulled back from their discipleship with God. And so they got to a point where they were no longer really following Jesus in a meaningful way. What had happened? Well, I think they'd actually fallen into some kind of deception that says you need this kind of lifestyle. That's the primary objective. And it had just weighed them down. It had been the cookie egg that had sort of taken birth in their lives and had started to pull them away from God. All those three examples are true. They are things that actually happened. And they were a result of us being human beings, you know, not realising that something is wrong early on, and not realising that actually something has happened in our lives which is sending us off on a wrong direction. But you know the problem with each of those situations is that I don't believe any of them set off with bad intentions. I really don't. That's what deception does. It doesn't come and say, hello, I'm going to deceive you, otherwise we wouldn't be deceived by it. You know, I've never met a single person who said to me, look, I woke up one day and decided that was the day I was going to get a drink problem. Or I woke up one day and that was the day I was going to get lulled into online gambling. Or I woke up one day and that was the day I decided I was going to have a relationship that would ruin my marriage. We don't do that. I've never met anyone who's done that. Deception comes in subtly in different angles and undermines from within. The question for us, I think, is are we able to spot those things? Are we able to look at our own lives and say, hold on a minute, Lord, are the things that I've let in because I've not consulted you and because I've not been walking in your ways that I actually need dealing with now? Or are we just going on and letting the cuckoo lay eggs in the nest of our mind? What happens here? Well, it creates an immediate problem. You know, deception causes problems. Deception, by its very nature, is problematic. And it leaves with issues to deal with. Because what happens is Joshua now has all these people who aren't meant to be there living within the land. And these people, you know, they're they're, they're people who are pagans, they were people who will sacrifice their children on altars. They are not the kind of people who should be mixing with um, the people of Israel, whose very job was to be a light to the nations, 
not to be sort of in collusion with them. And so deception causes problems. You know, if we have done a Joshua and not consulted the Lord, our lives can easily get sidetracked. If that happens, you know, there may be consequences. In fact, there often will be consequences. Sin, including when we've been deceived, requires repentance, doesn't it? Now, the amazing good news of the gospel is that Jesus offers us forgiveness, doesn't it? The minute we come back to him, the minute we are the prodigals returning to the Father, Jesus says, well, it's all been paid for. You're all that sin. If you turn back to me and follow my ways, that relationship is restored. And the vertical relationship, us and God, can be restored quickly, fully, and easily. But actually, the horizontal consequences of our deception can rumble on for quite some time afterwards. And this is what happens with Joshua. If you look at verse 27, the people are there to this day. I don't know when this day is, sometime later, but they're still there. And what we find this results in is a compromised promise. If you've got good memories, and been here while we've been doing this series, back in chapter 1, it said in verse 3, this is the promise to Moses, I will give you every place where you'll set your foot as I promised Moses. Chapter 3, verse 10, it says, This is how you will know that the living God is among you. You will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, and lots of other various ites and people. And the promise made to Israel was a promise of land. You know, you will have a land in which you can live with the holiness of God in your midst. And you can live and you can be a light to the nations round about. You can be um, and can fulfill the calling that God has given you to be a holy people. But now, we find it's compromised. And as the years go on, this compromise is still there. If you know anything about the history of Israel, you go through the time of Joshua, you go into the book of Judges, the pagan influence is still there. You go through to the time of the kings, the pagan influence is still there. You know, Solomon, the great king of Israel, was led astray by the pagan religion of his wives. He did have rather a lot of wives. 500, I think it was. Um, And then it goes on, and it goes on as the nation splits into Israel and Judah. Both go downhill, and the pagan influence is still there. And a promise that was made to the people ends up being compromised. Well, you might be thinking, well, this is all really cheery Advent stuff. You know, wonderful. So we're saying if we get deceived, that actually problems will just rumble on indefinitely, and we can't do anything about it. Well, I'm not saying that. So let's just um, sort of round this off a little bit. What is the biggest lesson we need to learn from this passage? Well, I think it's this. Live by the Holy Spirit. Simple, isn't it? Stay close to God. Don't be deceived. Stay close to God. You know, if Joshua had consulted the Lord, this deception would have been avoided. You know, I don't, can't emphasize it enough, but it is far, far, far better to not be deceived, to not sin, than it is to sin and then have to deal with the consequences, even though there is forgiveness. It was a bit icy this week, wasn't it? Now, if I said to you, you know, when I walk our dog round limb down, and I go walking down those wooden boardwalk things, when it's icy, I, I take particular lack of care because I know that if I fall over, the NHS will patch me up. And so what I do is I do, you know, I do the sort of ministry of silly walks down this, this boardwalk, and I deliberately put myself in all kinds of risks because I know that if I need an expensive operation, I pay my national insurance and it's all paid for. You say you're just ridiculous. You know, take care not to break your leg. That just makes sense. There's a saying, isn't there, that I, I hear sometimes. It's, it's this. 
It's always better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Have you heard that being said? In God's economy, that doesn't work. It might work in a work setting. Well, actually, it probably doesn't work there either. (laughs) But in God's economy, we don't want to be coming to ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness is available. Grace is available for when we do fail. But the cross is not cheap grace. If the cross is not there so we can just carry on here wandering around trying to break our legs um, spiritually or whatever it is, we're called to be a holy people and to walk step by step with God. You know, today I think the challenge for this passage for me and for all of us is are we walking closely with the Lord our God? You know, as we approach this Advent season, as we go up to Christmas, are we following Jesus? Are we committed to him? Do we commit our daily decisions to him? Do we walk in a way that means that we know our Bibles well enough to know what deception looks like? Do we commit our decisions to prayer? Do we pray for wisdom? That's one of the prayers in the Bible that God promises when we pray for wisdom, he will give it to us. When was the last time you prayed for wisdom? Do we do it regularly? Do we do it? But, even if we do all that, there will be times when we will all slip up. You know, no one is perfect. We won't leave this world as perfect people. We're all works in progress. The schemes of the powers and the principalities are not always obvious. If they were obvious, Joshua would have seen through it. And in the short term, that may give us problems if we do slip up. But we remember then that there is forgiveness available. But actually, I just wanted to make our picture a little bit bigger this morning. You know, if we look at the picture of our own life, it can be quite sort of claustrophobic. But if we set our own life in God's biggest picture, then actually things become quite different. You see, what happened here in Joshua, if you take the trajectory past where Jerusalem fell, past the end of Judah, and you keep going on, what happens a few hundred years later? Well, a baby is born in a manger. Jesus comes as the Lord and Saviour. The failure of a human being at this point doesn't impact God's biggest plans for his people. You know, when we fail... You know, if we even if we fall into deception, what does Paul say in Romans? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean God causes the bad things, by the way. It isn't God who trips us up. God will never do that. But God can still use, even those times when we have fallen flat on our face, he can use it for his glory if we turn back to him. You know, God's sovereignty is bigger than our ability to mess up. God's love is greater than our fear. God's forgiveness is broader than we could ever imagine. So I want to think about two things to finish. If today you've found out that you have been deceived in some way in your life and it has drawn you away from God, can I encourage you to get back to God? You know, Jesus is always there with open arms wanting to receive us, wanting to restore us, wanting to get us back on track with him. Now, there may be consequences that we have to walk through, but God is a good God. God has plans and purposes for us. God's plans and purposes are bigger than our ability is to fail. And if we've fallen, that doesn't mean that God can't use whatever has happened. And our response surely needs to be, let's get back on track with God. Let's once again experience the freedom and the joy and the love and the hope and the peace that following Jesus brings. If that's you this morning, can I encourage you, you know, pray. 
seek God this week, even after the service. You know, go and pray with our prayer team. You don't need to give details. They won't be asking you to fill in a questionnaire about how you've been deceived. But just pray. You know, ask somebody to pray with you. Secondly, for all of us, you know, we are all at risk of deception. And we won't always know when it's coming. Because it's deception. It sneaks in. The question is, not are we able to watch for every deception, but are we walking close enough with God that we won't do a Joshua and get caught out? Is our walk with the Lord so close this morning that that is the case? Now, how's your prayer life today? These are very basic questions, aren't they? But how's your prayer life? Are you meeting regularly with other Christians? Are you accountable to other people, not just yourself? How's your Bible study? Now, how are all these basic foundations of your Christian life? Because if we walk well in the presence of the Lord our God, if we walk well with him, if we consult the Lord, then the risk of doing a Joshua goes like that. You know, as we approach this Christmas season, will we hear again the call of Jesus to follow, to follow him every day, and to keep following in his paths. Let's not be a babushka. Let's not just keep following and never find him, but let's keep following and walk in his ways. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, you call us to follow you each and every day of our lives. Lord, perhaps there are those of us this morning who, if we're honest, we're not really doing that at the moment, and our lives are suffering as a result. Just reminded of that prayer that Joshua had to pray in chapter 1 about being strong and courageous. And perhaps God is saying to some of us today, actually you just need to be strong and courageous about what has gone on in life. And you actually need to admit that things have gone wrong and deal with that. Or perhaps there are some of us this morning who just need to say, Lord, I've drifted and I'm at risk of being deceived because I've, I've drifted away from you. Lord, would you draw us back? Lord, would you do a work by your Holy Spirit and bring us close to you, we pray. We ask it for Jesus' sake and for his glory. Amen.